Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, a lifelong homeschooling parent, author, and president of Chula Vista Christian University, a homeschool-based four-year university that centers on mentor-driven, Bible-based, debt-free higher education. If you're new to the show, we're in a season unpacking American education. We've been talking about the 12 toxic traits of the public school environment, and we've been looking at some tremendous interviews with new and lifelong homeschoolers' parents. It is time for us to step up and rescue the next generation. If you haven't heard, my latest book, Outsourced, Why America's Kids Need an Education Revolution, is now available in print and on Kindle. Go to OutsourceTheBook.com to order that, or you can find all of my blogs blogs, books, and podcasts at cvcu.us on the president's page. That's Chula Vista Christian University. If you have any questions about the parent-directed model of education or any of our homeschool academy models, feel free to email us at radio at cvcu.us, and we'd love to take your questions. Pastors, if you'd like to know more about how you can play a vital role in rescuing the outsourced generation, just go to cvcu.us and click the Start an Academy tab. We will walk you through every step of the journey as you become part of the rescue mission for the next generation. You can see some videos on our homepage with some of the other incredible homeschool academy partners, people who are making a difference across the United States in their realm of influence through this model. Today, I wanted to reflect a little bit about our use of time, and certainly this is stirred up by none other than daylight savings time. But you know, when I think back over my life, I've always been monochronic. In communication, we talk about people who are monochronic, which means driven by time, and polychronic, meaning driven by relationships. People who are polychronic don't pay attention to the clock, and people who are monochronic tend to be perhaps a little bit obsessed by it. I've always cherished this construct of time. I've counted it. I've calculated it. I've, I've, I've walked that fine line between time conscious and time obsessed. If three extra minutes would appear in my schedule, I would immediately put them to proper use. I knew the length of every stoplight from my house to my workplace. I found rapturous joy in checking items off my to-do list. I despised idleness. After all, as Jeffrey Chaucer once said, time and tide wait for no man. But I always felt like time was this mortal enemy, this unseen force that I wrestled with in an attempt to win this momentary battle of fitting in one more activity, one more project, one more goal. It's wearying just thinking about it, isn't it? I counted the cost, constantly weighing out which activities were most, quote, worthy of my time is investment. Because when time is limited, we have to choose between what is good and what is great, as Jim Collins warned us. And as Carl Sandburg said, time is the coin of our lives, so we must beware how we spend it. I would rejoice when a meeting was suddenly canceled and I would have a whole hour of unexpected free time. I would celebrate when I got every green light on the way home from an event, leaving me an extra, sometimes 
eight minutes of unexpected freedom. Seriously, some of those lights, two minutes each, you can add that up. Like that annual daylight savings gift of the imaginary extra hour we get every November. I loved that gift of time and knew that I could fill it up any way I wanted to. Anne Voskamp, who wrote a powerful book, Thousand Gifts, uh, said the only way to control the terrifying passage of time, the only way to make peace with its fleeting nature is to stand fully in the swift current of its raging waters and live in the moment. Is that hard for anybody else but me? This is a difficult task for people who live constantly in the future where time awareness keeps us more in the next moment than in the present moment. Perhaps you can relate. Well, certainly as homeschoolers, we have the luxury of time. While the traditional education world is trapped in an eight-hour classroom cycle with three more hours of homework every evening, we have the freedom to educate as long or as short as we like, whatever time of day we like. For most of us, on average, that's about three hours a day. But even then, the moments slip through the hands of time so fast, like the horsemen of the apocalypse, the passage of time seems to gallop faster and faster with every fleeting year. It seems like yesterday my children were toddlers, one of them on each hip, and today they tower over me as young adults, sunrise, sunset, as the song goes. I remind myself, as Voskamp said, that the only way to navigate this rushing river is to embrace it. <laughs> but then my mind clicks in and I ask myself, shouldn't I try to own time, to drive it, to control it? We all have the same 24 hours every day, right? So the only real time management is self-management. Benjamin Franklin said that lost time is never found again. And then it hit me. Maybe it was reading Francis Chan's Crazy Love yet again that finally forced the issue kind of under my skin and into my heart. Francis Chan asked, we give a little sparingly, but is that really enough? And I thought, of course, that I understood generosity as a believer, at least in terms of sowing money and kindness and love. A generous man will himself be blessed is a proverb I live by. But had I applied that same unyielding generosity to my time? First John 2.15 reminds us, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Of course, I understand not loving the tangible things of the world. I know the inherent dangers of an overly materialistic lifestyle. But what if time is a thing of the world? What if the omniscient creator, God, who lives outside the fleeting envelope of time, what if he meant that this human construct of time was also something that could be worshipped? I remember the moment that epiphany fell. I suddenly found myself feeling like a modern day Ebenezer Scrooge who's hoarding not pennies, but minutes, a time miser. The English poet and cleric John Donne contemplated the temporal, fleeting nature of time. He said, if we consider eternity into that time never entered, eternity is not an everlasting flux of time, but time is as a short parenthesis in a long period. And eternity had been the same as it is, though time had never been. This time, this quote, short parenthesis in a long period, this measurable construct of a measureless God, 
is not a master to be obeyed. I realize it's not even an object to be adored or scorned. Instead, time is a vehicle that transports us from memory to memory, a swift current that courses through our lives, connecting our past to our present to our future. And like a roller coaster in a theme park, sometimes we can either grip it with white knuckles or we can laugh and take in the scenery and maybe even enjoy the ride. That revelation was when I came to terms with my time miserliness. The only way through, like Voskamp said, was to stand full in the current of that rushing stream, experiencing the raging river of time as it courses beyond my control. He who loves his life must lose it. The only way to keep time is to give time away. Polychronic cultures value relationships over time. The culture we live in in Chula Vista is polychronic, not in a hurry. A meeting that's scheduled to begin at nine might start at 9.30 after, and after everybody comes together, there might be a long friendly chit chat before everything gets started. I find it very refreshing because in our monochronic American culture, definitely the one I grew up in, it's, it's, it's very focused on time, which can be almost a relentless focus. And I think one of the things we love about living in such a polychronic culture is that it helps us to stop counting minutes and start counting milestones to stop being so focused on the clock and to start being so, and to be a little bit more focused on the relational aspect. Matthew six twenty one says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Of course, I still know we need to value time, use it wisely as we would any resource, but we don't have to bow to that time miser mentality. We still get a little passing joy of the extra hour. I know I do, uh, but I'm not going to cry when spring comes and I have to give that hour back. Like all other things of the world, time too grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, as homeschoolers, we're rich with this living luxury, this treasure of time, and we make an eternal relational investment into our children when we choose to slow down and savor the moment. This kind of savoring of time is one of the many, many things I love about the homeschool world. You know, when you look at homeschoolers who have been raised by parents instead of peers who have been actually parented by humans rather than screens, you see so many differences, not just academics, but also socio-emotional differences as a result of being around parents. And again, I've said it a million times on the show, but the secret of success, the secret sauce is the parent, the involved parent. That is the predictor of socioacademic success across the board. You know, last week we talked on the show about the, the latest na uh, nation's report card that just came out. Look at that data, go to nationsreportcard.gov. That is independent data. That is not done by homeschoolers. It is objective and it will shock you <laughs> if your kids are still in the public school shock you. Uh, and hopefully you'll hear our message of hope and jump out. <laughs> it's great time for a public school exit. And you know, you can exit any time of the year in the state of California. You have the right as a parent to educate the direction to direct the education of your children. And so you can step out any time of your DM me, uh, for help, email us at radio at cvcu.us, whatever your method of contact is, we are here to help you go to cvcu.us and click our academy or our university model for help. When we look at those scores, last week we talked about the, the homeschool students' uh, scores, dramatically higher academic, civic engagement, biblical worldview, socio-emotional health, identity formation, which is so under attack today in the public school system, maturity, career readiness, 
homeschoolers score higher in all of these ranges. 37 points on average for standardized testing. You know, we looked at public schoolers were at the 50th percentile and homeschoolers were at the 90th percentile. Doesn't matter the parents' income, education, socioeconomic status, none of those change the stats at all. The secret of success is an involved parent period. So parents, we can set our kids up for success by breaking free from the system. And as homeschoolers, we have the opportunity to slow down, to savor the moment. We're going to pause for a commercial break right now. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this concept, how you can slow down, savor the moment, activate your faith and reset your family culture. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn. Thanks for joining us here on Mindset Matters. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining us here on Mindset Matters, where we're unpacking some practical tools that will activate your faith, reset your family culture, and transform your interpersonal relationships. If you're just joining the show, we've been talking for several weeks about the toxic traits of the traditional school environment. Last week and today, we were mentioning some of the test scores of America's failed public school experiment, which you can find at nationsreportcard.gov. And today we're talking about the use of time. In his 1936 essay, The Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway tells the story of a teenager named Paco and his broken relationship with his father. When Paco runs away from home, his father begins this long journey to find him. And in desperation, he finally puts out an ad in the local newspaper that reads in short, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. The next morning, the father walks outside only to find 800 men named Paco standing outside the newspaper office, hoping to restore a broken relationship. We've all heard about the crisis of relational attachments today, and certainly I've talked about them a lot on the show. Like the prodigal son story, Paco's story is both a heartwarming echo of reunion and a cautionary tale of dysfunction. I know as homeschoolers, we often think of ourselves as impervious to such relational superficialities because we have this sheer volume of time that we spend with our children, but it's not just the time alone that creates the bond. Sometimes we need to put aside our academic checklist and listen to the heartbeat of our home. When my daughter was in sixth grade, she suddenly wanted to engage in these deep conversations at the start of the school day. And you know, my, my teacher brain was very suspicious. Is she stalling because she wants to avoid outlining this essay? Is she apprehensive about this algebra assessment? So she's going to ask me a million questions so we can never get to it. But you know, today I'm so, so thankful that I didn't ignore those invitations, that I didn't push her onward with another math problem against my natural inclinations, I learned to savor the moment. And let me tell you, as a parent of now young adults, I am so, so grateful that I did that because my children invite me into their life. They want to talk to me. They want to share with me and their dad because they have been in relationship with us, not just being schooled, not just being educated, but being in relationship. Parents, it is an opportunity to savor the moment and to enjoy those relationships relationships. You know, most girls, my daughter's age, shun their parents' advice and affection. That is the norm of the culture. Not healthy, but that's the norm. But we see this beautiful model in homeschoolers where the relational aspect is built through daily discussions that were literally made possible through home, home homeschooling. Again, you hear me say this all the time, but the number one predictor of socioacademic success is an involved parent. The larger culture tries to tell us that kids outgrow their parents' influence as they reach 
a milestone like potty training and now they don't need us anymore, but that's so untrue. The more intentional time we spend with our children from kindergarten to college, the more successful they're going to be in every sphere of life, hands down. This is literally what drew me to homeschooling 20 years ago. The socio-emotional intelligence that's exhibited in the vast majority of homeschoolers, that is the result of being raised by parents instead of peers, by discussions instead of screens. There's relationship. I, one of my favorite studies, uh, psychologist Harry Harlow in 1958 assessed social isolation in rhesus monkeys. Now I was fascinated about any of the maternal deprivation studies, because you remember my, my story grew up without a mom. And so when I got to grad school, I was, I really want to unpack this. I thought it was really fascinating. Um, but Harlow demonstrated that without a base of maternal love, baby monkeys would not feel secure enough to perform normal monkey behaviors like warding off threats or exploring their little primate worlds. And these are studies that, um, that echoed findings from John Balby's work. If you've heard me talk about him before, um, the secure base findings, there were also a ton of really great maternal deprivation studies I found in the Aspen neurobehavioral conference. When I was in my PhD program, I found tons of great research there. Not so popular in America because it's not politically correct to research these things, but the lack of maternal love, especially those first two years of life, that lack of connection can actually result in long-term cognitive and socio-emotional challenges later in life. Again, parents, you are the secret of success. It's that simple. We sometimes forget that powerful saying that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It impacts not only our children, we're spending daily, daily time with them, but that trains up children who will then go on and rule the world. And maybe you're listening to this and you came from a home that didn't value attachment, that didn't know how to attach. I totally understand that. Many of you know that my mother and father married and divorced seven different people and my life was anything but stable growing up. And as a result, I had to learn and heal and be mentored by women who had it together so that I could pass on secure attachments to my children. So if you're feeling that similar level of inadequacy there, let me encourage you about some exciting things we have coming up at Chia. You know, obviously we have our ongoing homeschool hotline that's available to you, but next year at our July conventions, we're going to be offering something brand new, a marriage track and a parenting track. In addition to all of our homeschool support for every age and stage, I want to encourage you to get involved. I want to encourage you to register early. We'll have some of these at some of the outlying areas in some of our in the neighborhood events, but I really want to encourage you to register for conference early. We're going to be sending out data on that. If you're not a member, go to chiaofca.org. I posted on my social media, the website link, direct link. You can jump on and register, um, become a member. Let us help you. Let us come alongside you. No, I, I love the study of love. I think it's really fascinating. And I think that, you know, as we talked about the first part of the show, that savoring of time, that's an expression of our love for our children. Uh, when we look at psych- uh, the, the psychology and the physiology of love under the microscope, it is so, so fascinating. Some researchers looked at the role of the brain's limbic system, which is the part of the brain that houses emotion, behavior, motivation, long-term memory, even smell. And they looked at that system, the limbic system, what happened with love, attachment, and social bonding. And they found that 
our nervous systems are not these separate, what we call silos are not separated out. They're actually physiologically attuned to our closest relationship. If you've ever studied the mother infant bond, when the mother smiles or when the baby smiles and the mother's heart rate accelerates, it's called parasympathetic acceleration. There's a, a physiological biological response in the mother's or the baby and back and forth. Um, that's this example of God's wiring of love. Romans one twenty. God's character, his nature, evidenced in the created realm so that we are without excuse. He's literally made it obvious to us. You know, when we think about the popular love verse, 1 Corinthians 13, that's always read at weddings, and we think of it as uh, the context of romance. But you know, what's really interesting, there's no specific nod to romantic love in that passage. The word love in 1 Corinthians 13 is actually not eros love, but agape love, which is love, affection, goodwill, goodwill, benevolence, brotherly love. Think about your homeschool environment. If goodwill and benevolence suddenly became the measurable objectives of the day. What we were trying to teach, the product we were trying to get out of our kids. Seriously, come on, how cool would that be? The verse says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing, Paul said. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The same type of love, agape, is extolled in Matthew 5, 4, 4. It's, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Now, there are days when our enemies, both foreign and domestic, might feel like they've invaded our living rooms because our young students may be pushing their boundaries. They may be upsetting the proverbial apple cart. They may fail to focus on what we determine to be the business of the moment. Instead of allowing these small frustrations to mount and create emotional walls, we have to learn to to demonstrate that consistent agape love for our children, that balance of nurture and admonition that's going to reset their foundations of security and and anxiety that many of the the children in their generation are facing today. Let's not allow those measurable outcomes of the world system we've been talking about over the last few weeks to drive our homes into a frenzy. Instead, let's take time to savor the relationship that homeschooling affords us. If we do, we're going to see a generation of children like Paco experience the restoration of Luke 117, the hearts of fathers and children being reunited and restored. Again, thanks for joining us on today's show. Go to cvcu.us to find out how we can support you in starting an academy, in giving you class structures in our plug and play model. Or if you're in 11th or 12th grade, you can apply to CVCU for our spring cohort. We have a spring cohort starting this January. Be sure to check out outsourcethebook.com. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn. Thanks for joining me on today's show. I'll be back next week with more of our analysis and some developmental tips that will help you stay connected through the lifespan. We'll see you then. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. 
And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Nunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.